Embody respectfully acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pays respects to elders past and present. Welcome to Mission Unplugged, genuine conversations about Christian faith in action with young innovators locally, nationally and globally. I'm Mitch. And I'm Emily. On this episode of Mission Unplugged, Mitch sat down with Ben Chong from Surrender Co and Blueprint Leadership. So Ben is the coordinator of the Surrender Leadership Program, a space designed for emerging leaders from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. And he's also the director of Blueprint Leadership Coaching, and he's been a pastor in local churches for eight years. So I loved this conversation with Ben. He and I are both uh, really passionate about coaching, and we love that style of leadership of asking questions and encouraging people to discover for themselves all of the amazing things that God has put in them. So it was great to have a chat with him about the power of coaching as a leadership tool. Yeah, I think my favorite part, Mitch, was uh, when Ben was discussing, or he he brought up this analogy of a pendulum and uh, when we're engaging in mission, uh, it's sort of, we've got to start from this place of being in God and then being swung out into Um, what we're being called to do and then to be swinging back into God constantly and um, the way he saw this expressed in lots of different people he and his wife Chelsea lived with um, who were engaging in mission and what it meant to be missional. So before we jump into today's episode just wanted to let everyone know that our other podcast Reading Mission has just wrapped its first series reading through Make Poverty Personal by Ash Barker. So if you've been waiting for us to get to the end of that book before jumping in or if you haven't listened to the latest episode uh, the whole series of Make Poverty Personal is now in the Reading Mission podcast feed which you can find at embody.org.au slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Now enjoy this episode of Mission Unplugged with Ben Chong. Mission makes me think of two things. It makes me think of um, a starting place to start from, and it makes me think of a sentness to be with. And um, just like, you know, my, my world is leadership stuff, but just like leadership or service or ministry or anything really, you know, mission is the overflow of my connection with God. If you, I think about it like, if you imagine this is pendulum swinging, True mission kind of starts from leaning back into God and then the momentum moves us out into the world to be with others and then we move back into intimacy so we can be sent out again. G'day Ben, welcome to Mission Unplugged. Thank you for having me, what a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure having you. So for our listeners who might not know you, tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us a bit about your background and the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I am based on the Gabi Gabi land on the Sunshine Coast. I'm married to Chelsea. Uh, I got one daughter, Hallie. Got a son, Ace, who lives in heaven, and got one on the way, due in about a month, I think. So I'm excited about that. And um, yeah, look, I've got several roles. I was trying to think about how to describe what I do. You know, it was so much easier when I could just say I'm a pastor. Um, But I'd say my roles are primarily focused around helping leaders to listen for God's call and to respond faithfully. You know, I was thinking about what lights me up and it's, it's seeing people leading out of this overflow of intimacy with Jesus. 
you know, I love seeing when people are proactively stewarding mental, spiritual, emotional, physical health and key relationships and, uh, and where hope and joy are tangible fruits in their lives. You know, that, that's the kind of leader I hope to be. And it's the kind of leaders who've most significantly impacted me. And it makes me think of this, um, yeah, this quote by Ruth Haley Barton. She says that the best gift we give to those we love and serve is our transforming self. And uh, yeah, so, so practically, uh, I, what that looks like is I work one-on-one coaching leaders and I'm part, I might help lead home church that meets at our place each Sunday. And I coordinate a leadership program with Surrender, investing in emerging leaders from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Tell us a bit about your, your background. How did you get to where you are now? Were you born into the church or was that something that came later in life? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm second generation Chinese Malay and my family story goes back to Malaysia, Singapore, China. And there's, it's a long one. I'm not going to tell it all, but there's, there's displacement, there's financial hardship, there's loss, there's grief. And um, I think where it kind of begins here is both my parents each came to Australia by themselves before they were really even adults and they had to make sense of new culture and context and stage of life. And then they met at uni. They got married by paying a few bucks for a certificate at the registry. And then they got down to building life together. And when they met, my mum was a Christian, but my dad wasn't. Um, but he, he was happy for my brothers and I to have a Christian upbringing. So growing up, we went to church. I went to Sunday school, but it really wasn't for me. And as soon as I could, I was out. So I, I'd say I was probably around the church more than really in it for a long part of my life. But then um, amidst the turbulent time at 17, I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and my whole life changed. And of course, I, you know, I've skipped over half my life there. But at the heart of my conversion was this deepening understanding of all the ways that the world hurts and the ways that I was hurting personally and just seeing that I could not put this back together and I didn't think there was anyone else who could either um, but was introduced to a God who not only uh, could but cared deeply about the restoration of all things and so it was this decision to put my trust in him and um, yeah and it changed my life so yeah yeah so from there, um, what did your involvement with communities of faith look like? Yeah, a lot, lots. Um, I later joined the ministry team. I was involved in ministry long before I was a Christian. That's a whole different story. Um, but was, yeah, serving a young group of boys um, from when they were five till about when they were 21 or so. And um, I don't think I've any, done anything longer in my life than walk with those guys. So I've done their weddings and baptisms and some of them have got kids now. And yeah, it's made. I'm only 33. It makes me feel very, very old. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I later joined the ministry team at that church that I grew up around and I was a pastor there for eight years. I was part of the Red Frogs team in Rye for a very long time, led on some beach missions. I was connected with Better Morphus for a long time, was part of interfaith organizations. Yeah, just was involved in lots, lots and lots of things. Mm. There's a whole, um, quite a large circle of uh, people involved in church in the, in particularly Melbourne who, um, know you by name <laughs> and the ones that don't know you by reputation <laughs> because of that that long investment and involvement yeah oh it's a weird thing being like a <laughs> g-grade celebrity in a particular suburb in melbourne <laughs> oh look a little bit higher than g-grade but uh... <laughs> so then tell me about um the ideas you have of what mission means. What does that word mean to you and how, what does it mean to be missional and how has your understanding of that changed over time? Hmm. That's a big question. Um, can I tell a story? Absolutely. Please do. 
yeah, I, I think there's a story that dem demonstrates how admission is just written into my life. Um, so I mentioned my dad came over by himself. He came over at 16 and not necessarily by choice. And he lived with a couple of other international students in Essendon. And um, he was so homesick. He just couldn't sleep. He'd, and he just tried to keep himself busy. He knew the landlady needed wood to heat the place. So he'd get up and he's up at five or six in the morning just chopping firewood. And he lives next door to this Scottish couple, Bill and Margaret. And of course, he wakes them up because he's just chopping wood so early in the morning. But instead of, instead of anger, their response is love. And, you know, they see my dad struggling and he's lonely and they, they go, this guy needs a family. So they open their home and they offered him their lives. And so he's, in, he's around for meals. They've got boys a similar age. So he develops a friendship with them and they become like surrogate parents for my dad. And so anytime they had family things, be it weddings, birthdays, Christmas, New Year's, dad's automatically invited. And um, dad was just telling me the other day, like just how significant clan is for Scottish people. But are you Scottish, Mitch? Uh, maybe at one point in history, yes, but right. not in yeah. any way that really informs my day to day. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so, so he was just saying how significant clan is, but that um, it was a no-brainer for them. You know, for Bill and Margaret, they were just like, this young man's going to be part of our family. And so they welcomed him in and then later they welcomed mum in, you know, as, as daughter. And so um, I kind of say I've got Scottish grandparents. You know, our families yeah. are so connected that only a few few years ago, this is decades later and Bill and Margaret have since moved on, you know, that they've passed on. But uh, we went around to their children's place to have Christmas lunch. You know, we're still considered clan to them. And so um, it began there. But then when mum and dad got married, they moved to East Doncaster. And which at the time was the outer suburbs of Melbourne. And they had two young boys and dad had to work long hours. They're exhausted. They don't know anyone. But again, they move into this street where the neighbors are real neighbors. And so the neighbors do meals with my parents. They have street parties. They do barbecues. They, they hear mum plays pianos. They have these music nights together. They babysit for mum and dad. And um, two of the neighbors, Gary, Gary and Yvonne, they find out that mum's a Christian and that she's been looking for a church. And so they said, hey, we go to one. Why don't you come with us there? And that ends up being the church I come to faith in years later and where I served as a pastor for eight years. So um, there's so many more stories, but in a very real sense, um, mission has made me. You know, mm. like I, I, I'm not who mm. I am and where I am without the love of people who are willing to go beyond themselves, be with my mm. family. Yeah. So, yeah, when, when, you, when I think about mission, I think about that. And then you kind of ask me, what does it mean to be missional? And um I love the message translation in John 1 where it says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And, that, you know, that's, that's Jesus, right? Like he's literally God with us, sent to be amongst us together. And, yeah, I love that language, love made flesh and blood and putting down roots amongst the people. And so mission makes me think of two things. It makes me think of um, a starting place to start from and it makes me think of a sentness to be with and um, just like, you know, my, my world is leadership stuff, but just like leadership or service or ministry or anything really, a you know, mission is the overflow of my connection with God. Mm. You know, Jesus started from this place of eternal intimacy with his father and the Holy Spirit. And then out of that connection, he's sent to be with us. So if you, mm. I think about it, like if you imagine this is pendulum swinging, true mission yeah. kind of starts from leaning back into God. And mm. then the momentum moves us out into the world to be with others. And then we move mm. back into intimacy so we can be mm. sent out again. Mm. And um, yeah, there's there's this line from uh, Robert Mulholland, and it's been swimming around my heart for a few months now. And he said, "Often we'll expend amazing amounts of energy and resources to be for God 
in the world, when in reality, we are called to be in God for the world. Mm. Not for God in the world, but in God for the world. And mm. that speaks to my heart, you know, that, that challenges the parts like of me that, that wants to, yeah, the parts of me that mm. want to save or fix or be helpful out of my own wounds or search for identity and significance, you know, like health, healthy mission in my mind is that it's that natural doing that comes out of the remembering who I truly am in God, which mm. is loved, mm. you know, mm. love begets love and only love can change things. And um, Jesus could be with us because he knew intimately what it was like to be with God. And so when I'm in God for the world, I have joy and hope and love and compassion and trust. And I can sit with complex things like grief and suffering or injustice without immediately being overtaken by a chaotic activist spirit. I don't know if that <laughs> resonates with you at all, but uh, <laughs> definitely that I did not ask to be attacked like this. Ben. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, but you know, I think like when I'm coming from that in God for the world space, you know, I've, I've got good things to offer that don't mm. come from my own strength and that are better yeah. than, than anything I can personally manufacture. And so that's the, that's the starting from, and then, then there's the being with and the, the becoming flesh and blood and moving to the neighborhood thing. I, I like the idea of moving into something already there where there's already stuff happening, where it's the sense of uh, partnering, joining in, not bringing anything to a people or importing something, but unearthing and discovering and learning together where God is at work and partnering together to join that work. So I've said a lot of words, but I guess, I guess like in short to me, mission is starting from intimacy with God, be sent to be with God's people, joining in with what God is already doing. This is just, it's just God, God, God. Like mm. there, <laughs> there's um, much less emphasis on, you know, uh, program activity, um, you know the 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 things that so often capture so much of our time, attention, and resources. Yeah, totally. I th- I'm, and uh, that's the the simple equation, right? The world says that activity informs identity. You are what you do, and God says, no, that's not true. Identity informs activity. When you know who you are, you know what to do. Yep. And you're you at the core. Your identity is you are. Loved and cherished by God. Yes. Yeah. So I know that you've been on, you know, over the years, quite a long journey of exploring that, uh, those ideas of what mm. mission is. Um, you and, and Chelsea spent uh, quite an amount of time, seven months, I think you said, uh, visiting mission communities. Um, yes. You know, exploring what makes them tick, uh, exploring what you can learn from them. Can you tell us a bit about that experience, what you were doing and um, what it looked like and what you got out of it or what you learned from it? For sure. Yeah. And look, to, to kind of preface where that trip came from, you know, what I just said about mission, that is certainly not what I have always thought and lived. Um, you know, I came to faith as an angry young justice warrior. And so, um, you know, I was, I was passionate about the restoration of all things, but I had violence in my heart. You know, I had ignorance of my own personal need for restoration. I thought everyone else had to change, not me. You know, and I'd advocate for peace and justice, but I would run over you to achieve it. And it took me a long time to, re- to learn. You can't really advocate for, for love and unity if you're willing to separate, separate and divide to get it. You just perpetuate problems and you increase division in yourself. And a few things helped change that. You know, I'd say three major factors were going through burnout at 24, and then having to confront some of the wounds in my own heart and then 
Secondly, experiencing the power of a long and slow walk with the people, like I mentioned, those young men and their families and the church. And, and then learning from people who've been serving in some of the most challenging environments and contexts around the world um, who still have hope and joy in their hearts. And so, yeah, that's where that trip came out of. Like I, when, when God, God told me it was time to step out of the church, uh, he called me to sabbatical and um, I didn't really know what to do next. It was just literally just say no to everything, live a quiet life, support Chelsea, and uh, it really felt like a, a invitation to build rhythms with God that had absolutely zero to do with ministry or leadership. And that was really important for me. And then as we began to dream about where to from here, what next, we, we started asking, you know, what are the burning questions in our hearts? And some of them, some of them were, were, you know, I, 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 like I mentioned, I went through burnout 24 and I was like, why are there so many Christian leaders burning out? You know, why, why does, why does so few make it? And, and then we looked at our lives and, and Christians around us, you know, um, it's not to shame anyone, but we were just going, how come when we look at our lives, we can't see more joy and hope, you know, like we, we're so smart. Like we knew like, like the Christians are so smart, but we were, we were so good at pointing out what was not quite good enough and you know, like, but, um, but there was not that much hope or joy. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not surprised that my friends who don't follow Jesus aren't very attracted to our world because I felt like a lot often what our lives, what our words said is come and know Jesus. He's the giver of all life, joy, hope, and peace. But our lives said, and then you can be just as stressed and bitter and cynical as me. And, or at least mine did at the times, you know? And so, yeah. yeah. Um, Chelsea oh, and I were just- More so, I can give people a run for their money when it comes to their tiredness and cynicism. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get competitive about it. Yeah, um, yeah bring it on. <laughs> yeah, so- Charles and I were just going, you know, where are the people who've been in the hard places and doing it well and where their lives still sing the song of a kingdom that is coming, you know? Mm, so yeah. we, we began to just put the feelers out and go, what? we just thought, hey, we are free. We've got this space in our lives where we can just go, you know, this is pre-children and um, there's some space and we we're just like, we could do this. And so we said, okay, if we were to do it, what would we want to ask? And so we came up with five key questions. And the questions were, how do you stay in love with Jesus before working for him? How do you foster healthy marriages and friendships? How do you raise children who love God and don't feel sacrificed on the altar of ministry? What do your rhythms of rest look like? And how do you stay hopeful and joyful in the midst of difficult places and circumstances? And we didn't want to just read it in a book or go to a conference. We wanted to see this lived because we know it's messy, you know, but we want to see how people lay it out in everyday life. And so we just put the put the feelers out and asked people, can we come? And almost everybody said yes, you know. So and they were so generous, so hospitable. And we just stayed for a month at a time, mostly living in with them and, and observing. We didn't come to do anything. We just watched and, and asked questions and um, spent time together. And, yeah, I mean, God expanded our hearts. He expanded the boundaries of our belief. I think we saw how big the kingdom is and barely have a glimpse of like the awesomeness of God. And um, yeah, we, I mean, we've got so many things. It's a whole nother podcast here to share all the things we learned, but um, I, I think some of the key ones that really have um, captured our hearts is that first and foremost, rest is a weapon. You know, when we, when we asked them, how have you done this? Everywhere we went, there were people who'd been there for at least 20 years who were healthy, doing well, hopeful, joyful. And we asked, you know, how, how have you sustained this? Mm. And they just said, it, sorry, you're gone. I was just, that's staggering. 
the idea yeah. of someone being healthy and joyful in a in a, a tough ministry or mission field for twenty yes. years. Yeah. Um, you you say that, and I, I am committed to the vision that that is possible. But my experience just goes, how have they yes. done that? That's that's yes. not possible. Yes. Well, I mean, that's that they're like the not so well kept secret is rest is the weapon. You know, like that they everywhere they were, they were ferocious about the way they made space for abiding and rest each day, each week, each month, each quarter, each year, every seven years, um, as individuals, in com- as families, and in community. They just they, those were the pillars, and everything else gets booked gets booked around that. You know, so yeah, I mean, rarely have I seen that model. You know, I, I don't even know many Christians who practice Sabbath. And I'm not. I'm not coming after the church. I I deeply love the church, but I think it's just something we've lost. And um, but yeah, these people kind of really reminded us that that that's, the pendulum swings from that beginning place, you know, to start from. So yeah, that was the first. The second one was um, that the need is not your calling. I remember that um, one a professor from Fuller Seminary. She was talking to me about that, and she just said it'd be in in, in a um, high Latino population uh, community for over 20 years. And she actually just said, I've learned that the need is not my calling. You know, my calling first and foremost is to be with God and to respond faithfully to what he's asked of me. Um, but it's not my job to fix. It's not my job to solve. It's not my job to transform and to, or to die for this all to be changed because Jesus already did that. Um, yeah. So and it, it indicates a sense of I can rest because you know, I can trust that king is good and the kingdom is coming. And, um, yeah, I think that trust piece was the third one. It was just to put down roots and then trust God. Every, everyone we asked, we, we, we also asked them, you know, when you had a sense that God wanted you to be here or a sense of a dream or vision for this place and, and what might happen here, how long was it until you began to see anything like that? And all of them said, oh, 14, 15 years. And with at least at least two seasons when mm. we thought we should just call it quits, mm. Mm. you know, of major mm. crises and just so, um, yeah, that was challenging, you know, because yeah. um, that, that challenged my sense of of I feel like I'm 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 oriented to the long walk. I feel lucky that God kind of put me in a place where He wouldn't know He kept me there. Um, but yeah, I think that's challenging around mission. You know, I was talking to a leader the other day and. Um, He's, he was a youth leader with the community, and I said, "Hey, so what, what's what's God steering in you about it?" And he, and he kind of really said, "I feel like this is for the long term." I was like, "Okay, that's interesting. Um, how long? What does long term mean to you?" And he said, "Oh, probably two years." And mm. I was like, mm. "Man, that's that's mm. that's barely enough time for them to even know your name and even share a couple of meals, you know?" So, um, yeah, that that sense of I'm putting down roots, you know, I'm moving into the neighborhood. Um, mm. Yeah, and then the last one I think is just, um, yeah, is, it the, the, is the power of giving away your power, that a key mission activity is just to identify what you have and give it away. And, you know, that's Jesus with his disciples, right? And, um, yeah, I, I, there's, we were just now particularly inspired by a one leader in the Philippines. She's done the long walk with survivors of human trafficking from rescue to recovery to reintegration to... Um, education and employability skills through to becoming uh, mothers or re-entering into relationships with men. And, and like that's 20, 20, 30 plus years that she's walked with these women. And 
she just gives up her power over and over again. You know, like she gets invited to conferences and she walks into the stage only to say thank you and then to give the microphone to the survivors because she said it's your voices and faces that need to be heard and seen, not mine. She gets invited to government and she just brings the ladies. You know, they they speak and they they, they just won a major award. And um, in the acceptance speech video, she's not even on it. It's, it's two of the survivors <laughs> who are now leaders um, who That's are... Right. Yeah who are taking, you know, like she just gives up her power constantly. And um, I think one of the testimonies to that is just this, um, they work alongside some quite big organizations and these organizations, when we were with them, they had seven leaders, I think. Seven, it's an organization of seven people. But these big organizations came to them and they said, look, we can do the um, legal processing. We can do the counseling stuff. Uh, we can do the connection to networks, but we don't know how to do this sense of deep, spiritual formation and transformation that you've somehow done with these women can you teach us and she says yes and then she has the women survive the survivors who are now leaders do the teaching and um it, it reminds me of this um this really beautiful quote from lao tzu that we learned along the way on our travels it just says go to the people live with them learn from them love them start with what they know build with what they have but with the best leaders, when the work is done, the task accomplished, the people will say, we have done this ourselves. Mm. Mm. So I want to ask you a question I'm not 100% sure I can actually articulate. Okay. Um, because, and so I'm just, I'm just going to start talking and we'll see if we can find the question along the way. Great. Um, all of that, all of those insights and all of that learning seems to um, – or as 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 I'm hearing you express it, it's drawing me towards a vision of mission that is, you know, slow burn, um, you know, put down roots, be in the community, be there, you know, what what did you say, you know, 14 years before mm. you see any quote unquote fruit. What is the relationship with between that approach and a, a sense of intentionality i think the idea of intentionality is a is a gong that's been or a drum that's been banged uh a lot in in my life um and i've heard a lot of discourse around you know we we have to we have to be doing mission intentionally we have to you know be engaging with god intentionally um yes what what then yeah, what then is the relationship between intentionality and this this slow burn or what kind of observations would you make around what yeah. does a, a a healthy expression of intentionality, which assumption behind the question is that if we are engaging intentionally, we are being proactive and creating uh, I don't know. This is this is so. Uh, you know, I'm an I'm an action oriented person. I'm an activity oriented person. You know, be yes. creating a regular community meal or um, yes. starting a drop in center or you know doing things like that 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 are intentional. Mm. Brain dump. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that you asked this question. You know, and because I look at the people that we stay with, and they are extremely intentional i think um i can only speak from i can't speak about the people you've been in the conversation with i can speak about no, me and, ha and how yeah. i would have entered this conversation before um would have been to think i i, well, I would have been saying intentionality but what i what i really meant was intensity 
I would have just mm. gone like do stuff intensely, yeah. do lots of it, do it hard, do it fast and expect like big swings all the time. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that's just human. Like we that's approach right, things always wanting to hit home runs and, yeah. you know, people, people were getting a fight and wanted to throw just, just haymakers without realizing that, you know, you've got to throw a thousand jabs. And um, so I think that intentionality is, is so significant, but it's a sense of going, you know, what can I do faithfully and do it on repeat and be consistent about it and be, you know, really mm. focused about building systems to keep doing it and, mm. and building up others to keep doing the thing and then trusting in the power of like what God does in compounding, you know, to a thousand votes yes for God, to, to God, you know, like a thousand yeses in obedience to God. I think um, he's the one who does the heavy lifting. So when he can do a lot with our yes. He can do a lot with our with our loaves and bread, you know, like loaves and bread with our loaves and fish, you know. And um, is that is that making sense? I- yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that um, I think that articulation of inten- intentionality as code for intensity that I find that really helpful. That's a that's kind of unlocked the difference for me. Um, mm. Yeah, and that sense of intentionality is what can I do again and again and again and again and again and again is yes. also really helpful. Yeah. I, that one of my, um, I mean, I mean, in coach, we, you know, we're, we're skipping ahead, but like I'm, so I, I coach people, right. And when I, when I check in on, on the things that they are working on, it, I have to make rules because what they want to do straight away is they want to ask them, Hey, what, what have been your wins? And they'll say one thing and then they'll say, but, and they'll tell me all the things that should have been better could have been better what they didn't do and um yeah i really have i recognize that this is like it's not just leaders people but um there's such an importance to rejoicing and celebrating the small and and seeing that their wins like it's not just 14 or 15 years for these these people of waiting it's of faithfully sowing and celebrating where they see god at work um and that celebration itself is missional that's part of their their transformation and the transformation of community around them I, I love that. I love the story in Zechariah four, um, where the Israelites have returned from exile and they're tasked with rebuilding the temple, and it's just rubble. You know, it, it's it's dirt and rubble, and they've got they're just moving stuff around before they can even rebuild. And it's so far gone from the days of Solomon's glory, and uh, they've got people against them. They've got people mocking them. They've got people actively trying to stop them. And I think there's this real sense of like, what is the point of this? You know, we're just moving this bit of dirt to this bit of dirt, and one brick is so far from what the whole temple really is. And uh, it just says, um, "Do not despise the the small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin." And and it talks about how His eyes eyes roam the earth, looking for those small beginnings to celebrate. You know, I think it's, it says about how it just to, just to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hands, the Lord rejoices. You know, we call it tiny, and the Lord says, "That's my kingdom growing." And yeah, so that I, I'm all about intentionality, um, but in that sense of like celebrate the small things and know that there really are no small things. So, tell us about coaching and particularly the work you're doing through uh, surrender. Um, what's coaching about? What's uh, the goals of the coaching program that you guys have developed? Um, mm. And what are some of the impacts that you see? Yeah, so um, coaching is one of the loves of my life. <laughs> and um, you and I actually did some training together, hey? We did, so, yes. 
I mean, I mean, I'm curious to ask you, like, what does yeah, what does coaching mean to you? Yeah, yeah. Look, um, I could go uh, very, very highfalutin philosophical and um, talk about you know modes of leadership that are um, you know much more akin to that kind of that slow burn and that um, deep roots and alongsidedness. Um, but at a at a really you know practical tangible level for me coaching is is all about helping um people realize how much they already have and how much Mm. god is already doing through them and in them and Mm. um you know and then you know workshopping problems and um trying to um get past roadblocks but yeah celebrating those those wins and um yeah and and really just becoming more and more aware of how much capacity God has already put into each and every person. Um, yeah, that, that, those, those are the things for me that have, have really stood out and are, are part of what makes coaching appealing to me. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I, I, I think for those who are listening and have never heard of coaching, you know, at least in this form, the, the key premise at the heart of coaching is that you are made in God's image the Holy Spirit lives in and speaks to you, and there is more wisdom in you and more capacity to you than you than you realize. And um, yeah, the aim of coaching is to draw that out. Um, but, but for me, the the question at the heart of coaching is, what is God calling you to, and how will you respond intentionally? You know, there's that word. You know, and um, it's helping people do that dance of faithful reflection and action that actually leads to transformation. Um, because that that you keep doing that those small votes for yes to God, you know that um, that's so much more effective in the long term and the way that compounds than just huge swings, you know, of intensity. And um, but when I think about what I do in coaching and the training with that, what I do probably isn't pure coaching. You know, pure coaching for me is it's good and valuable, but it could end up just being life goals or attitude adjustment or behavior modification. And what I'm interested in is coaching for Christ-like formation. And so. That question of what's God calling you to and how will you respond faithfully, that that informs most of what I do in any of the spaces that I'm in. And, yeah, look, this, the Surrender Leadership Program, that came out of um, a season of solitude and prayer after our trip. You know, Chelsea and I were trying to make sense of everything God had shown us. And we one of the things is we saw the importance of raising up local leaders and we were, we were captivated by this vision in Isaiah 61 where the poor and the lonely and the oppressed and the unlikely are reimagined as oaks of righteousness to display God's splendor. And it says they'll be rebuilders of what's been ruined and restore what's long been destroyed. And, and that's beautiful, hey? And mm. that's like what yeah, I was describing sure in the is. Philippines, you know, um, mm. survivors mm. to like to, to strong leaders. And um, yet at the same time, the statistics for leader burnout in the church are something like one in three. Absurd, yeah. And you know, you imagine how much higher those rates might be then in communities where there's a lack of eldership or lack of resources or community or access to support. And that is the reality for a lot of the young leaders who we work with in the Surrender Leadership Program. You know, mm. some are, some report being on the verge of quitting leadership or even faith when they're just at the beginning of their journeys. And overwhelmingly, we hear how lonely they are. And that's a tragedy because because we need them. You know, they, I mean, you and I both know that story, um, not the story, the statistics stuff from um, Dr. Robert Clinton's leadership studies and, and just kind of um, trying to make sense of, you know, across leaders who finish well, 
are there any patterns? Are there things we can learn from biblical, historical, contemporary leaders? And one of the things that he found in this research is that in general, our very best years in terms of leadership impact and effectiveness are in our mid to late 60s and mm. second best in our mid to late 70s and third in our mid to late 50s. And so for all of us, you and me both, we're like, we're barely halfway. We're in formation, you know, and we're going to see some fruit and it's probably more about the grace of God than it is about our own <laughs> talents and abilities. And we're going to know suffering and, and God and his goodness is going to work in that and restore, you know. And um, but I'm working, I see these leaders that we're working with and, and they're trying to, they're ready to walk away at 21, mm, barely yeah. realizing that, that the best days are yet to come. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, they're world changers, you know, and they can do things in their own communities and people groups that outsiders could never and should never try to do. And so one of the ways I think about being sent to these leaders is to just take whatever I have in terms of access or connections or resources or training and, uh, and whatever surrender has and ask how can we make this available to these leaders in a way that makes sense in a way that honors their own cultural story and experience um yeah and allows them to discover for themselves rather than putting it upon them and so um coaching really has helped answer those that question you know it's because coaching is built on deep listening and curious questions and so in the in the surrender leadership program we don't do a lot of teaching or advice giving we don't present as the experts and from time to time they'll ask for opinions or input but if I share anything, then it's just to prompt their own reflections and insights. And I learned that from Jesus, you know, Jesus strategy for mission is literally deep relationships with unlikely people, empowering them to serve and love the people. And he gives them ownership. And then the disciples gain spiritual authority through their connection with him. And, and for every, this is part of our training, right? Like for every one directive, Jesus asks something like a hundred questions and he trusts in our ability to discover and learn for ourselves. And so that's what we try to do in, in the SLP. You know, we want to establish trust-filled relationships with emerging leaders through helping them connect with God in their everyday context, respond faithfully, and reflect on what they're learning for the benefit of themselves and their community. And, um, yeah, look, I think it seems to be doing something good. You know, I, like the leaders who are about to call it quits are gaining confidence and community and a deep sense of calling and leaders who felt pulled into efficiency and hyperactivity, they're learning that, who they are comes for what they do and 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 my favorite part of that is it's it's not taught to them you know because it's true like that that you're not what you do but it's not like we're teaching them that they take it in they are discovering it in their own hearts it's treasure that they found for themselves and so you know there was um there was there was this young leader that i was talking to recently and um she was reading through the story of jesus baptism and she's particularly captured by I me mean, how could you not be when the sky splits open and the voice from heaven speaks and says this is my son who i love with him i'm well pleased and she and when i asked her you know what is that what is what stirs in you with that she just said he hasn't really done that much yet hey <laughs> and i was like true yeah true um what does that tell you and and we just kind of sat still there for a moment and then she said you know god god doesn't god loves jesus before he's done anything before he's productive and, and I said, okay, and, and you know that, that, that scripture that says, as Jesus was, so are we. What does it mean if God sees you the same way he sees Jesus? Then we just sat still. And, and then the tears started to flow, and, and she, she just said, I spend so much of my life trying to do well and be efficient, and God doesn't need me to be productive. You know, before I do anything, I'm his daughter. He loves and he chooses me 
And so she discovered for herself these three words that were treasure, you know, daughter, chosen, loved. And I said, if 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 you lived under that banner for the rest of your life, what what difference would it make? And she just said, it would change everything. And so then, then we made a plan together about how are you going to live into and remember that truth. But um, that's one of my favorite things about this whole coaching thing. One of my hopes for the process is in the program is the leaders would learn the truth about themselves, that they as they lean back, they discover how loved they are and then they're sent out with love to offer. Um, yeah, that they learn to lead themselves well and lead others well mm. because mm. they're led well by Jesus. Mm. So I know something that you've, Something you touched on already uh, was your experience of leadership burnout at mm. a very young age, but at the same time, and an age that a lot of people in ministry roles, in mission, in leadership do experience um, yes. degrees of burnout. Um, in in going through that experience, and then you know launching into your exploration of what does what do healthy missional communities look like, and uh, into exploration of coaching as a, a set of tools and approaches, what has that? How has all of that kind of changed the ways that you lead and your experience yeah. of being a leader, and what you're able to then offer into the lives of other people? Wow, big question. Uh, where, where do, where do I'm you want not me to good start? at small questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in in how how this coaching approach has informed and changed um, yes. the way the the ways that you think and act on on leadership. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, look, it's interesting. When, when I started coaching, I was excited to strategize and coach around cool expressions of ministry, but without fail, no matter where we start, you know. So, so in coaching, the the person who is being coached, they've set the agenda, right? And um, so no matter where we start, 99% all of the leaders, you know, essentially that I've worked with have ended up realizing there's a need to work on their self-leadership, that we're going to struggle to lead other people well if we cannot lead ourselves. And so they all end up deciding on their own to do work on their rhythms and spiritual disciplines. And um, I'd say, yeah, the, the, two, the two things that every leader ends up working on, and I never just put them there, I never make them go there, is um, my own my own sense of abiding with God and my sleep. <laughs> yeah. It seems, seems that uh, connected to rhythms is working on good sleep and end of the day routines, hey, because yeah. yeah. can't really yep. show up with God or others in the ways we hope if we're robbing ourselves of rest and it seems like we all do that. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I think that um, my, my, one of my mentors used to always just kind of drill into me that he said, you know, Personal transformation precedes corporate change. That um, what God wants to do through you begins with what He wants to do in you. And um, if you want to be attentive to what God is doing in you, I think yeah, that takes deep listening and space. And that's why I think coaching is so essential because coaching is about space making. It's about asking questions, listening deeply to promote understanding and reflection. And Henry Nouwen calls listening a form of spiritual hospitality. And I think that's just like, the most beautiful really description like of what this coaching yeah. is, you know. Yeah. Um, it's it's listening is an essentially then mis- an essentially missional activity. You know, I think about coaching as making space for leaders to come home to themselves and to God, and to take an honest inventory of the state of their soul, of their mind, their health, their behaviors, and then to be fiercely intentional about what to do next. And so, if you think again of that pendulum image, that's the leaning back, and then when they leave coaching, it's the sending out. And so. 
yeah, look, I think one of my major transformations for me is just recognizing how essential it is to lead yourself well if you're going to lead anybody else. You know, that's one of the key lessons for my season of burnout is that I spent a long time just blaming others and then God was going, inviting me just to think about what am I going to take responsibility for? Beginning with myself, my life, like nobody's going to do it for me. Nobody's going to say no to things for me. Nobody's going to build boundaries for me. And um, nobody's like, I could complain all I wanted that I didn't have support, but nobody's going to just, I mean, some people do, but they're rare where they just notice, like, I should just look out for Ben. You know, more yeah. often it's actually, I've got to go, who are the people that I want to be shaped like? And, and how am I going to seek them out, you know, and be humble and teachable? And and so, yeah, that, that learned to lead myself is something I see play out for me and, and for many leaders. And like I said before, you know, when, when we're leading out of that overflow of what God is doing in us, then we have something to give without becoming depleted. And when we don't, the constant pull of the environment and the requests and the endless needs and all of that, that, that takes us out of ourselves, takes us out of seeking God first, and we end up so much less effective in every way. And so, yeah, I, I, like for me, coaching is just, it's like the most effective discipleship and leadership development tool I've encountered. And because when people discover for themselves and when they own their growth, they transform. And the more people being transformed deeper in Christ's image, knowing they're loved and with love to give, the more we start to see the kinds of mission and community that we long for, because those are only made possible by Christ-centered love. So it's not the coaching is not the only way, but I think it's such a helpful tool at the center of this to help people um, be present to what God is doing in them so that they can allow him to work through them. What would you say to um, any young leaders who might be listening who might really resonate with that sense of, um, you know, my, my to-do list is... 20 pages long and every task is just taking me away from the the things that I'm really passionate about or that that sense of uh contentedness and settledness in the mission that God has has kind of put before me um any advice any tips uh anything that you would want to speak into that space mm. I mean the first thing I'd say is you are you are loved more fiercely than you know and I mean, I, I wish I knew that when I was younger and um, put yourself in spaces where you're reminded of that, where, um, you know, before, without Jesus, I'm a wretch and, and with him, I'm a son, you know, I, I need to know that all the time. And um, yeah, surround yourself with people at different of different generations too, who have their eyes fixed on the long game of following Jesus across a lifetime, you know, who who have that wisdom of, um, intentionality over intensity and um, I mean your, your question is what, what would I say to a young leader yeah yeah as best you can not knowing you know the yeah. the, the abstract person um, yeah yeah and, and 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 maybe just um, slow down and make space to be still and and listen for what God wants you to do now and no matter how small it seems, just say yes and just keep saying yes to that thing and um, he will do the rest. And, and um, yeah, I, I think that's that's it, you know. I thought I needed to change the world without realizing that God was already doing it and um, I just had to trust him, you know, and, and that I could join and I could be part of it and he didn't, need, he didn't need me to just accomplish everything I thought I had to accomplish under my little patch of sky in this blip of existence in all of human history. You know, I was acting like if I didn't do that now, the whole world would fall apart. But um, he just wanted me to be faithful. 
you know, and, and just be beginning from the place of knowing that I was loved. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Ben. So what benefits does coaching as an approach bring to, to you as a leader and to the people around you that you're leading? Yeah. I mean, it's changed my life. Like it, it, it helps be, helps me be more curious and kind and I get to learn so much more. You know, I get to have more fun because I'm listening more and I get to hear the deep wisdom of so many people and see that people are wise, you know, and yeah, it makes me a better person, husband, father, friend. For me, coaching is uh, a way of being. It's not something I do. It's like approaching life, choosing to listen deeply and make space for people. And um, yeah, this is, there's a senior professor of pastoral care and counseling, David Augsburger, and he says that being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. You know, they are one and the same. Being heard is being loved. And so I want to love people. And so that means I want to listen. I want to go first in making space and go last in giving my opinion, um, which makes this really weird because I'm I'm talking so much on this podcast, you know. <laughs> I'm not used to, I'm not used to doing that. Um, this is the this is the most I've ever heard you speak in the last couple uh, of years because I've, I've forced you into a context where you have to. <laughs> you tricked me. I did. Um, yeah. So so I think that like it changes my life, and it, it also makes the burden so much lighter when you trust that God is working. I mean, you're hearing the themes, right? This is the same as what I said about mission too. Like, I love coaching because it makes me trust in God more. I don't know what's going to happen and I can't prescribe. And one of the best things I think we can do is just make space to listen then. So, and, and I remember I'm not responsible for people's transformations. I'm not responsible for all the needs. I can just do what I sense to do faithfully and rest in the knowledge that there is a good and loving God bringing about his kingdom and I'm not him. And man, that's the news I need to hear too. When I was a young justice warrior, hey. So I don't know if that if, I, if, yeah. I, if I'd say that to the young leaders listening, like when you said, "What's, what's my advice?" Because that yeah. they don't want to hunt me down. But um, that that was that's wisdom that I needed to hear. Yeah. Um, something you've actually mentioned a couple of times that I would um, um, would love your your thoughts on. Um, you've mentioned how coaching, um, you know causes you or um requires you to be curious Mm. how do you go about fostering um a a greater sense of curiosity because i know even even as someone who does coaching um that's something i really struggle with i I struggle to be curious Uh, so i'm curious as to your advice (laughs) no pun intended great question mitch um yeah how do you be more curious it's a good question I'm going to sound like a broken record, hey. Uh, but I think the first step is know that you are loved because you can be curious if you don't have anything to prove. That is you know, like, such a good point. Yeah. Like curiosity is a generous thing. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think that's – I think the second is like the choosing of humility. Like it's the I'm here to be a learner, not an expert. And, um, and, and yeah, that, that behind every behavior, there's story. Um, and that's, that's tricky. Like, it's very hard to do, you know, I've heard a psychologist talking about how uh, the reason why we, we, it's so easy to divide is, um, we attach identity. If we have nowhere else better to put it, we attach identity to our beliefs, right? And so if somebody believes something different or we think they're wrong and then they challenge us, our brain cannot tell the difference between 
them disagreeing with us and a tiger trying to attack us. It's the same thing. And so it's more uncomfortable to, to choose to go, tell me more. How, um, help me understand what you see. You know, I think some, having some of those questions are helpful tools, but I think essentially it's the, starting from the, um, it's, it's like the genius of Jesus where, where it's like to choose to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your, and, and the word for neighbor is very similar to the word for enemy, you know, is like love the one who's against you because they're your brother, you know, and, and so going, I actually want to learn about my brother. I want to love, I want to love. And again, like being heard is, is, is being loved. So I want to hear. And yeah, so I think it's starting from that place of like of generosity because I've got something to give because I've received it from God. So circling back around to your experience with the Surrender Leadership Program, mm. um, the work that you do there is oriented towards uh, culturally and linguistically diverse leaders. Yes. Um, what's what's it been like working with um, leaders from you know diverse backgrounds? How does how does their experience differ from? your own and um, most importantly, like what are your, what are your hopes and your, what are you excited about for these, these people? Mm. Oh, it's, it's like one of the greatest honors in life. I think to listen to, to anybody and to listen to their stories and, um, and to walk with them that they trust us, you know, that's such a privilege. And I take that for granted. And I'm, I'm brought to tears by their journeys. You know, there's so much courage and strength and faithfulness. I think a third of the leaders who come through the program have, um, live most of their lives in refugee camps and um, people just there's people living there through personal and generational trauma and um, but I just see such courage and strength and faithfulness and and character and I can see God's goodness written all over them and yeah I get off the calls every day and I'm inspired you know I learn so much from them because there's this there's this pursuit of of Jesus and and following him in a way that is sustainable um but faithful you know uh, that takes risks that i just i just didn't have the wisdom for that when i was the same age and so i just believe in them so greatly and uh, my hopes i got lots of hopes but uh, my hopes are that their leadership is shaped by being with jesus that they become like him and do what he did and that, that's that's everything but then i hope that as they grow together that they carry their relationships across the church in this nation and that's a blessing for many people too and i hope that they find themselves sitting at leadership tables that have not always been accessible to people like them and that they're able to bring the gifts and perspectives that they carry and um yeah i i guess if you're listening and you have access to those spaces i'd I'd just love you to think about who who else could be sitting here with us you know because they just bring such um different and helpful perspective and wisdom and um yeah i I think they're going to change the world they already are Mm, and mm. i just hope that other people can notice that too ben that's been fantastic um as we as we come towards the end of our time together um if people are wanting to connect with you more or find out more about the surrender leadership program where can they do that uh, yeah, you can follow me at Benjamin J. Chong on any social media. I'm not very active, but I'm there. <laughs> um, you can see what I do with uh, leaders at blueprintleadership.com.au and the Surrender Leadership Programs at surrender.org.au. Brilliant. And finally, how can we be praying for you and how can we be supporting you in the work that you're doing? Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, thank you for having me and thank you if you're listening, for listening and um, it's very humbling 
and um, yeah, look, you can pray for us as at the moment we're in preparation for our biggest cohort ever in 2022. And um, we're really celebrating. We get to meet in person for the last three years. We've, we haven't been able to gather because of COVID. So we're gathering in February for the very first time. You can pray for that and pray for our team as they, as they bring that together. And um, you can pray for me to, uh, for wisdom and to keep listening to the leaders and finding ways to invite them into the shaping and of, of the SLP and ultimately like you know I learned from Ate Tina it's, it's their voices and their faces that need to be associated with this not mine you know I'd love to be listening to this podcast you know in in the future and it's, it's their voices I hear being interviewed so um yeah so that, that's the best ways you can do that and you can support surrender you know we, we don't exist without the generosity of the church so um that can be done through our website and yeah, I know you guys have been good friends of us and, and many others listening too. So thank you so much already for the way you've loved and believed in us. It's a pleasure. Well, thank you so much, Ben. Thanks for sharing so um, insightfully and so vulnerably from your story. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks heaps to Ben for joining us on Mission Unplugged. If you want to connect more with Ben, you can find him on Instagram at Benjamin J. Chong. And find out more about the Surrender Leadership Program at www.surrender.org.au slash leader. You can also find Blueprint Leadership Coaching at blueprintleadership.com.au. All the links are in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Mission Unplugged, a podcast by Embody. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and review us so more people can find us. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Join the conversation right now in our Discord server at embody.org.au forward slash discord. Embody is a national community of young people passionate about mission locally, nationally, and globally. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at EmbodyAU and visit our website at embody.org.au. All the links are in the show notes. Embody is part of the Global Mission Partners family. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connections to land, water, and culture. Music in the show is by Josh Woodward. We'll catch you next time, and thanks for listening to Mission Unplugged.